What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the bonus series, COVID-19 from the front lines, I have Dr. Lawrence Lazarus, MD. He has spent his 40-year career specializing in geriatric medicine and psychiatry, primarily at Rush Medical School and University in Chicago, Illinois. He has written about the overwhelming stresses experienced by physicians, nurses, therapists, and other first responders to the ravages of COVID-19, their vulnerability to traumatic stress, and the importance of providing early interventions. He, with co-author Dr. Jeff Foster, recently published Insider's Guide to Quality Affordable Healthcare, selected by Book Authority as one of the 12 best healthcare books in the world to read in 2020. The book is available on Amazon or by contacting him at his email, which will be in the show notes. Dr. Lazarus is currently in private practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and graciously gave us some of his time today to share his insights on what those on the front lines are dealing with from a mental health perspective with this pandemic. I would like to first and foremost tell you, I was so excited to have him on, and I think that his insights are so valuable. I do want to apologize for some of the audio glitches in this episode. I have edited and polished to the point that I'm able to, being that I'm not officially an editor, but I highly encourage you to listen despite some of these glitches because the words that he speaks are so valuable and the passion that he speaks them with is valuable as well. So I hope you enjoy. All right, excited to bring you Dr. Lawrence Lazarus today. I know that he will have so many valuable insights, and I appreciate you coming here and spending some time with us today, Dr. Lazarus. Yes, it's very nice to join. Thank you for the invitation. Of course, yeah. So the first question I ask all of my guests is, what does true wellness mean to you? So I'm curious as to your answer to that. Uh, true wellness is both a, of a feeling uh, content with oneself, uh, having a secure sense of self-esteem, and uh, having uh, a good sense of where you are in the world today and, and what you'd like to do in the near future. Of course, it also involves a physical sense of, uh, of uh, well-being and, and strength. So it's a sort of a view of yourself as, as being uh, well and in sync with the world and the world around you. I completely agree. and think that's a very valuable definition. And so as we dive into more of the details, can we first start with sharing with the listeners more of your journey and how you got to the work that you do today? I had a psychiatric career at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center for about 20 years. And then uh, 10 years ago, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, because I liked the sun and the and the art and culture here, and I set up a small private practice, and I spend the rest of my time uh, writing, visiting family, 
and uh, try to exercise almost every day. Wonderful. I can definitely share in the sun loving part of that story. And I'm glad that you're in a location that you love. So let's go ahead and dive in. You're basically both on the front lines and supporting those on the front lines. What are some of the primary reasons physicians and other healthcare professionals are more vulnerable to traumatic stress disorders? Well, the, the, when we talk about the uh, front line, we're, we're talking about physicians working in hospitals, nurses who are seeing sick patients in the hospital or in an emergency department. We're talking about other types of first responders that may be uh, the police or the ambulance driver. And the reason these people are so vulnerable to develop um, traumatic stress is because they've never had to encounter this type of thing before. I, I know that 2003, we had the uh, SARS uh, epidemic, but it, it didn't affect uh, Americans the way this is. The, the, the most severe form, as most of us know, was the uh, 19 epidemic the end of World War One. Now, the people who on the first law have uh, two stressful situations. They have a fear and concern contracting the uh, COVID-19 themselves, and worse still, bringing it home to their families if, if they're living with their uh, spouses and children. So, so they have a fear of uh, contracting it, uh, the, the second reason that they're very vulnerable is because they're so busy living lives and so focused on other people that it's sometimes to, they've had all these uh, experience being very sick and often dying patients that they uh, say, you know, they realize, my God, what I've just been through, the trauma, the seeing people so sick. And also, unfortunately, there, there is no uh, identified cure for this illness. Uh, so, so some people use the term secondary traumatic stress. By secondary, it's because they're hearing these stories all the time. They're confronted with very sick patients and, of course, the relatives. So th there's a term called uh, secondary traumatic stress, which is very much like post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, some psychologists and people in the mental health field believe that there's going to be a second pandemic be uh, a high incidence of post-traumatic stress disorder, but also a lot of the complication of that condition if it's not identified and uh, treated uh, soon after uh, symptoms begin to show. Really important point, especially about the potential and likelihood for the second pandemic relating specifically to mental health. What are some of the struggles you have personally seen with members of the medical field during this pandemic, and what do you feel is important for the public to understand about these struggles? I'm glad you asked that question because my son is a hospitalist in a different part of the country. And he wrote me a very sincere email about a week ago telling me how frustrated he feels because so many of his patients 
because the hospital where he works at is in a disadvantaged neighborhood. And so a lot of the people that are admitted have um, chronic medical problems like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and they're very much uh, more susceptible to develop serious complications of COVID-19. A good number of his patients have died. Um, he feels uh, frustrated because he can offer sometimes only supportive care. And some of these patients, of course, need to be on ventilator. He's also worried when he goes to work that he's going to contract COVID-19 and bring it home to his son, who's only two years old, his wife, who is a nurse. So he, he has a double worry. And uh, it's a, just a tremendous stress. So he, he told me that he has feelings of guilt. Uh, sometimes he feels a sense of therapeutic nihilism, meaning he feels there isn't very much offers to some of these patients. And he feels very uh, committed, of course, to going to work every day, home exhausted. And he has some other symptoms suggestive of this very traumatic stress, which is some nightmares, uh, uh, ruminations about the patient he's been treating all along. Some of whom, as I've already said, are, are extremely sick. He has some uh, sleep disturbance. Um, but fortunately, he has a, uh, a very caring wife who's a nurse, and she's on the front line too. So they commiserate with one another. He has a father <laughs> who's cafe who who he knows he can pick up the phone and call, but he doesn't. Now, just to show you what a a, a sweet man my son is, and of course I'm a little prejudiced. I said, you know, well, why don't I come out and I can take care of my grandson, your son, you're working, and and give you a little time off with your wife. And you know what he said? He said, Dad, you know, I'd love for you to come out, but I'd really be concerned because you're over age 65. And if it bit, I should come home with the virus, not only expose my wife and my son, but also for your health and safety. Now, I, I think that's really considerate, a very loving thing for my son to, uh, to, to say to me. And so, of course, I, I, uh, I respected that. And um, I, I have a great deal of confidence in him. So I uh, have not gone out to visit him in Massachusetts. Thank you so much for sharing that story of your son. Clearly, you've done an amazing job raising him, and we are blessed to have him in the medical field treating patients. I'm sure his patients feel the same, but I really appreciate you sharing those details. I was just kind of listening and thinking and wondering what some of the societal and even medical field misconceptions about physicians and other professionals and their ability to compartmentalize injury and death and simply keep pushing forward. What are your sort of thoughts on that topic? I think the health professionals on the front line uh, are the warriors. Uh, they notice that they're taking and uh, they go to work. Now, fortunately, they, they have a good support with their colleagues. Uh, if they have a family, 
they get a lot of support there. They're, they're strong people. Uh, and the reason I say they're strong is because they made it through uh, college and graduate school, and, and they went on with their education. And that's often a stressful uh, time in one's life. They've had to then uh, adjust to, say, a marriage um, and meet the multiple demands of, of being, say, a physician, a nurse, worker, respiratory therapist, but also uh, have the responsibility for, uh, at times, raising their family. So these are very strong people that are very dedicated. And uh, it's really uh, inspiring to see uh, New York City, for example, other cities uh, come out in the evening and give a special salute to these uh, warriors. The vast majority of health first responders do not develop uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. They can develop some symptoms of it, normal and natural. And I'd like to emphasize the fact that when you're dealing with life and death situations, uh, a lot of the experiences that first responders uh, have in these situations are, are normal. Uh, a normal situation, just like uh, somebody being on lines uh, fighting a war. Uh, there's going to be uh, strong reactions to what one sees. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, especially in an uh, emergency department or in an intensive care unit or hospital bed, in a hospital, uh, these are very stressful so the, the fact that they develop sleeplessness or ruminations about their day at work, or they have flashbacks of patients who uh, may have succumbed to the illness, uh, I like to I like to explain to the physicians that I see in my practice that a lot of what they're telling me about are, are normal and natural, and most of those that have early signs of traumatic stress, uh, they're over it uh, in, in a period of weeks or months. Now, it's the ones that are not getting over it that have continued symptoms. It's often hard for health professionals who admit that they need some help for themselves. Uh, to some extent, they live a kind of selfless uh, lives, and a lot of health professionals unfortunately, don't take as good themselves as they uh, need to. And, and this also pertains to people sh who are showing some signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a sign of strength for health professionals to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness, and it shouldn't be seen as such. So I think a lot of what keeps health professionals um, uh, getting some help for themselves is their uh, self-image of being uh, always strong, self-reliant, independent. And uh, these same traits, I think, may uh, interfere with their recognition that they're struggling and that they could benefit from seeing their own physician uh, or, and or being referred to a mental health professional 
who has expertise in treating uh, health professionals who uh, are experiencing uh, traumatic stress disorders. I think that is definitely the quote from the podcast is that it is not a sign of weakness, but of strength to seek out help and ask for help. And I really hope that those listening can take that to heart and share with others, as I know that this will benefit so many. I do think that there is a sense of a necessity to stay self-reliant, strong, independent, and knowing that the ability to identify the need for help and then seek it out is a sign of strength. I really believe that will help so many people. So thank you for for sharing that thought, and I hope that it uh, goes far from here. What are the consequences if healthcare professionals don't receive early intervention and support? And what are you hoping as far as the types of interventions they do receive as a result of this pandemic, but also just moving forward? Uh, Many hospitals across the United States have uh, human resource departments, of course, and they, they have psychologists, social workers, uh, psychiatrists who are familiar with uh, PTSD and uh, they can get help right there at the hospital. Now, a lot of health professionals still sort of think it's a sign of weakness if they have to reach out. They might feel more comfortable contacting uh, somebody at a different hospital or uh, in private practice. If, if they want to maintain complete confidentiality of what they have to talk about. Now, there's some things that all first responders intuitively know to do. I'll just mention uh, things that we all know anyway, but I'm hurt uh, mentioning it. It's not good to watch too much news. It's not good to overdose on watching uh, or listening to the radio about uh, tragic situations. Uh, secondly, uh, a lot of hospitals support group health professionals. It could be uh, uh, informal meeting Zoom or some other telecommunication. Uh, but it, it'd be good for hospitals to have uh, third physicians and other health professionals need to take good care of themselves. That simple exercise that they can do at home uh, using yoga, meditation, uh, listening to soothing music. What I'm really saying is to take time for yourself. You're going to be helpful to very sick patients if you're exhausted. So uh, take care of yourself and your health. Try to get uh, an adequate amount of sleep. And... um, and know that you can count on on your colleagues. If if those are aren't enough, then seek out some counseling. And I'll just repeat what you've already repeated. It's a sign of strength for health professionals to reach out. In fact, another way of looking at it is that you're really also helping your patients. So you you, you ought not to look at it as some self indulgent type of thing, but it's some that's useful not only for yourself, your family, but also for your patients and your colleagues. Mm, Yeah, agreed. So, so important. And I really hope that that people who are listening take that to heart. As we wrap up, um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how the healthcare system in America will be different 
or how you see it to potentially be different after the pandemic? And what do you hope to see for those on the front lines specifically following this? What what should we have learned and, and improved upon? Well, some things that we're all very aware of. Uh, telehealth, telemedicine is going to continue to be a very valuable way of interacting with patients. After all, if a patient has to travel uh, to coast of New York City or San Francisco to get to their psychotherapist, uh, maybe it's just as easy to do it uh, using some telehealth. So telehealth is going to continue being a very valuable resource for both the therapist or physician and patient. Um, Secondly, I hope there's going to be more of a recognition of the deficiencies in not only our care system, but society in general. The people who are economically struggling and have do not have adequate insurance despite the fact the Affordable Care Act, tremendously good job. Uh, we're recognized all the deficiencies in our, in our current, not only our health care, but in society in general. Is there going to be more attention paid toward providing people with adequate income? Is there going to be more support for uh, single mothers who are struggling to take care of their families. Because if some parts of society are suffering, it really affects uh, the whole of society. Uh, we, we, we all know this. But it's becoming so much more glaring as, as we see uh, certain parts of the uh, population, the homeless, people living in nursing homes who are at such high risk. Uh, is this going to, now other changes? Is this going to affect uh, our our politics? Uh, are we watching the leaders? And I can cite a few that I'm very impressed with: uh, our New York governor, uh, the governor of California, uh, even the our governor in New Mexico, where I live, uh, and uh, Doctor. Uh, Fauci, when you see leaders like this, you develop more confidence in what the country is doing. Uh, and I, I, I'm not omitting anybody uh, by on purpose, but these are people that really show uh, caring leadership abilities. And it's very good for uh, our younger people to, to have heroes when they're growing up. We, we all need mentors. We all know, need people that we can look up to, admire, and want to emulate. So there's going to be changes in our society. The worst thing that can happen is if we have amnesia when this is over and just say, oh, it's normal now. We don't have to worry about another pandemic. The worst thing that can happen is that we don't make changes in our medical system and in society in general to prepare for uh, subsequent times that we may have to deal with the pandemic. We know certain uh, East Asia countries like South Korea, uh, Singapore, uh, Taiwan, they did a remarkable job. Why? Because they've had to confront these pandemics before they had them all set up 
So when there was the signals coming out of China that there was going to be a pandemic, uh, these countries were prepared. And, and we've got a job as America uh, was ready to, but certainly going forward, we want to be better. We don't want to see so much suffering and uh, so much um, disproportionate care how different parts of our population are treated. I'm sorry, I'm a bit long-winded, but as you can tell, I feel very strongly. No, I really appreciate your passion and your dedication to sharing your insights. And, um, you know, you mentioned about how, you know, the importance of having role models and mentors. And I know that you have been that for not only your son and his family, but also the, the patients that you have served. So thank you so much for the work that you have done, continue to do, and for sharing your insights with us today. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, I'd be pleased to uh, come back and talk with you again sometime. A huge thank you to Dr. Lazarus for joining us today and sharing his insights. I think mental health is a topic that really should come to light even more now so where we are in our pandemic journey. I appreciate all that he shared and I highly encourage you to share as well if you found this valuable. Stay safe and I will see you here again next time.